Welcome to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast. A series of honest conversations about opportunities, challenges, and joy in ministry today. I'm Adam Mixon, content curator. I'm Adam Borneman, program director. I'm Jennifer Maxell, program curator. And I'm Mark Ramsey, executive director of the Ministry Collaborative. A project of the Macedonian Ministry Foundation, the Ministry Collaborative nurtures a national network of pastors and congregations committed to faithful, creative, and courageous engagement in their communities. Every day, we are inspired by ministry leaders from across the country who are exploring possibilities, learning from broad perspectives, taking risks, and who are eager to join candid discussions that generate disruptive creativity. This is Mark Ramsey, and I'm so grateful today to be talking to Todd Bolsinger at Fuller Seminary. Todd is uh, a wonderful contributor to Macedonian ministry and is on our advisory board and has become such a valued friend and colleague. Hey, Todd. Hey, Mark. Nice to be with you this morning. Yeah, good to be with you. And and one of the reasons particularly we're, we're talking to you and going to drop this as a special podcast soon is that you just published what I'm going to call a bridge book between Canoeing the Mountains and one coming out in November. You want to kind of talk about that a bit? Yeah. So, you know, Canoeing the Mountains was all about the fact that the world was changing dramatically, right? We were moving after 1,700 years in the church from a Christendom world to a post-Christendom world, and that was going to happen in a generation, and we were all spinning. And then a pandemic happened. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I said, you know, the only thing constant about change is that it was speeding up. And what was taking a generation of disruption was becoming like about a week of complete disruption. And so we began to take some of the material from Canoeing the Mountains and put it with the book that's coming out in November to give a kind of a primer, a guide to get through these pandemic days for leaders. When you did Canoeing the Mountains, which has been so helpful to so many people, including me. So thank you for that. What did you learn? by the reaction or the response you got from canoeing. Yeah. So it's so interesting when you go out and actually start talking to people about the content in your book, you go out there thinking, here's what I want to highlight. And then they come back and go, no, no, here's what we want you to talk about. And what everybody wanted to talk about was the chapters on sabotage and the idea of facing resistance. Because the most difficult thing for leaders isn't the challenge outside the church. It's the challenge inside the church. It's the internal resistance of our own people who have asked us to lead us. So they call you, they say, lead us into the future. Let's make our mission better than ever. Let's make an impact for Christ in the world. And then what happens is they start resisting the very thing you start doing. And that was demoralizing for folks. Hmm. You used, I think, the term a minute ago, acceleration. What are you seeing most right now? with the pandemic and its impact on ministry? Well, I think the thing I'm seeing the most is that acceleration kind of all makes us all a little disoriented, right? If you've ever been on a roller coaster, it takes off and accelerates. It's hard to actually think straight. And so the fact that we'll, you know, there's a part of us having this podcast that it could come out three days from now and we would all think it was, oh, well, that was just so three days ago, right? And it's so disorienting. And partly what you have to do is help people slow down and think long term at a time when everything wants to be anxious and thinking quick fix. Todd, you were on our very first webinar that we did as a pandemic hit. We did 10 of them. And on the most recent one, we had seven parish pastors on talking about the challenges they're facing. Watching the chat box, a question that we got over and over again from people who were listening was, tell me and help me plan Mm. right now. Mm. How do I plan? 
I'll be honest, I ignored that question and we went on to other things, partly because I thought that would be probably a three-hour subset of it, but also because it seemed to me somewhat, I understand it, but somewhat a little bit off-center question. But it's a good question. What would your counsel be to not just pastors, but church board members right now? How do you plan in the middle of a pandemic? Yeah, this is so interesting because so my own team gathered on Tuesday and we asked Andy Crouch to come in and talk with my executive team. He's the one who wrote the great article about the fact that we're in a little ice age, right? right? And I said, what is the most disruptive thing you've learned in the last few weeks? He goes, we are going to have a crisis of planning for the next several years. It's going to be almost impossible to plan anything. Yeah. And think about that when your expertise as a leader is that you get really good at planning, thinking strategically, thinking long-term. You think of long-term thinking and long-term planning as being synonymous. And they're actually two different things today. I was thinking about this where one organization back in the 90s, when they were saying how the world was changing so dramatically in the 90s, one person said, you know, we don't have a strategic plan because three to five-year plans get obsolete in no time. What we do is we practice strategic thinking about every one of our plans. And so that move from a plan to a process of thinking is going to be really important. And it's disrupting everything, including me. I mean, I'm having to rethink everything, even my calendar. Right. I moved into uh, five pastor's offices in my parish chapter of my career. And in every one on the top shelf toward the back, covered with dust were the last five strategic plans exactly. of a congregation that had not been looked at yeah. since the night that the church board mm-hmm. approved it. But I think it is a crisis, and I think part of it is pastors are unsure, then how do we show that we're ready to move forward? Yes. How do we get pastors and help them form a vision for what, how to move forward? Well, so this is where in the book that's coming out in November, the book is all about resilience, because what I realized is more than anything, you needed to form people's capacity to lead in a disruptive world more than you needed to give them a playbook for getting through a disruptive world, right? So if you have the capacity to lead well, no matter what comes, you're going to do much better than trying to anticipate. I say to my people I coach, I say, look, don't predict prototype. Right. Don't try to make predictions about the future. Instead, do small experiments that you can learn from that'll make you better as you go. So trying to get out of this idea that we've got to perfectly understand what the future is so we can plan for the future. I mean, that's just not going to be a reality for us for probably a good long time. I know that there are a lot of pastors, whether they'll name it specifically uh, right now or not, they're feeling a deep grief, not just what's happening in their congregation and their communities, which is profound but that the ministry they thought they were going to have is no longer available to them. Oh, oh gosh. I think about this. The place where I think about this in two ways that are just so like real to me is I think when I was a pastor, one of my favorite things was to gather with these people that I loved and open the scriptures for them. Sitting down face to face with them, it didn't matter if it was on a Wednesday night or on a Sunday morning. Really what my heart was is that I love God. I love the scriptures. I love people. I wanted to bring them together. To think that I may not be able to be in a room with a group of people I love teaching them the scriptures because it could be dangerous to their health Mm -hmm. is really hard. And then what really strikes me, especially if I think about even more, think about people who are music ministry people, right? Everybody who gets into music ministry loves the experience of a congregation singing. 
I mean, you know, some of course want to be soloists or stuff, but you think about most of us who are in ministry, we care about gathering people's voices, the richness of it, the choir singing. We might not have choirs for a long time. We might not have congregational singing for a long time. This is a genuine grief and a genuine loss for many of us who these are the most life-giving practices we have. Yeah, and so much of ministry is we pastors give a lot, but then they gain Mm -hmm. in those significant ways. And I think the other thing that seems to me is a lot of pastors are feeling stranded just Mm. so far away from their core competency. Yeah, Yeah, They want to do a good job, but they don't even know where to begin again at this point. You know, one of my mentors taught me a phrase that I've used a lot, which is at the moment of crisis, you do not rise to the occasion. You default to your training. Being at a seminary, I said, every single person who shows up at a seminary, somebody said to them, you're the best Christian I know. You should go pro. (laughs) And so, you know, they show up at professional Christian school and what they're thinking is I'm going to go out and now I'm going to get to basically tell you these things I did better. What imagine if you said, well, you know, you're actually called to lead the people of God into the witness of God and you can't use any of the tools you were trained with. Okay, now go. Yeah. What uh, is no one paying attention to or is being overlooked right now that we've got to be paying attention to? I think about this this way, which is the COVID crisis exploits underlying conditions in a body. Like COVID is a disease. So what really start realizing is who's at risk. I thought about this when I called my father, you know, who is 77 years old and homebound and realized, you know, if the wrong person walks into his living room, it could be deadly. He didn't have to worry about that quite so much before, even with his underlying conditions. I think we're revealing the church's underlying conditions, and it makes us realize just how vulnerable we are because we have some places and pockets of the church of some pretty deep disease that we need to pay attention to. I think people are wanting not to. They're wanting to just figure out how fast can we get back to normal instead of actually using this crisis as a chance to address the deeper underlying conditions of the church. Yeah, there was a, an article that was going around social media yesterday. I think it was a blog post by John Dobbs, The Coming Pastoral Crash. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw it, but it's good. There's a, uh, uh, We are serving in ways we have no training or experience. We're doing our best but unable to keep up. We're exhausted and less gathering doesn't equal less work. I think there's some important things there. But to your point, the thing that just came home to me was none of this is new. And absent a pandemic, it might have taken longer for these things to surface, but they've been there for a long time. And and I worry particularly about congregations and faith communities that are thinking they're discovering the crisis now as if it hasn't been underlying for a long time. Switching to the other side, what are you seeing that's energizing? What are you seeing that are clear signs of the Spirit's work right now? Well, I think one of the most energizing conversations that's happening is that now there's no center of the church. There's no establishment church. Everybody's disestablished. So you can have these very interesting conversations between, you know, storefronts or home churches, or I work with a group called Fresh Expressions, you know, groups that are doing these amazing like experiments. And you realize that mega churches are asking those questions. Like what kind of experiments can we learn from? What can we can do? It literally means that every voice matters and now we can work together more creatively. And that's the most interesting thing to me. The people I want to listen to are much more diverse than I think I used to mm-hmm. listen to by default six months ago. 
Yeah, and I, I share that, and I think that it is a moment in the sun for small and medium-sized churches. Mm-hmm. In some ways, they are well-located to deal yep. with some of this in ways that some of our larger congregations are really facing steep, steep challenges, oh. starting with their building and going from there. Yeah, one of my coaching clients is a mega church, and he's been doing like a daily Bible study on Facebook. And he goes, it's just mostly the older people in our church showing up, but what he realizes, now I feel like I'm their pastor. And they think of me as their pastor. I'm more connected to them because of Facebook than I was before when he was on a giant platform, you know, with all the infrastructure of the church. And he's energized by it in an interesting way. And I keep thinking there's a disruption of vocation. It's going to be hard for a lot of folks, but it could be restoring in a really good way for many others. Yeah. I do hope if people are listening, if you haven't read Canoeing the Mountains, Todd's book of a few years ago, please read it. It is important. What led you to the book? that's going to come out in November on Tempered Resilience. What were your thoughts about that? Mm-hmm. And can you give us just a sneak peek of yep. some of the things you're talking about? Yeah, I had a client who was a pastor who said to me, you know, Todd, I've read your book and I've been working with you and I realized that I can learn how to lead adaptive change. I don't know if I can survive it. Mm. It's really hard. I don't know if I can survive it. And I started realizing that what we needed to do is talk about the formation of resilience for leaders facing resistance. Ed Friedman talks about a failure of nerve where people collude with the desire to go back to the status quo. But I also discovered that a lot of pastors were having a failure of heart which is where they were becoming cynical and disconnected and they were going through the motions and they were even beginning to resent their congregations and their teams. And so this book is about overcoming both a failure of nerve and a failure of heart by developing the sets of practices that will enable you to develop resilience. Unpack resilience for us a little bit more as you've Mm -hmm. studied it. You know, a lot of different definitions of resilience are out there, but the one that I liked the most was by this guy named Andrew Zolli. He said, it is to maintain your core purpose and integrity, maintain your core purpose and integrity in the face of dramatically changed circumstances. And for those who know me, the word maintain is not a verb that I often use, right? But I like the notion that resilience is about holding on to what's so important and your core purpose and integrity is what gets you up in the morning. It's what makes you feel like you are uh, have honor to yourself and to the people that you love. And that resilience is about how to hold on to the most important things when it feels like everything else is being stripped away. And being able to do so, we realize, is a formation process. You can't just will it to happen. Mm-hmm. There is a need for grit, but grit is learned. And grit is also much more developed in relationships and in experiments than we expect. Yeah. It seems to me that maintaining and holding on to something is sort of that 2,000-year church question, what is essential, what is not essential? But that is very hard in the middle of a crisis or in the Mm -hmm. middle of a pandemic to make those careful choices. And certainly, in my view, we can't do it any place other than in community. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you mentioned the word formation. Clearly, I think formation and equipping of people in the Christian faith is crucial. You're at Fuller Seminary. How do you view both the crisis but also the opportunity in theological Mm. education? Well, if you think about it, traditionally seminary was always pre-ministry work, right? Young people go to seminary to get all their training so that you can then send them into the ministry. We're realizing today that formation of leaders is a lifetime work. So we talk about having students who need our degrees and having learners who are people who are wanting rich, disciplined, thoughtful 
training and formation for their whole life. And I'm on the learner side of the equation at the school. And so what we're thinking about is how do we take our research and our resources and our pedagogy and how do we make it available to people for life? Because training and retraining and forming and reforming is necessary in a dramatically changing world. And so that's why we developed our Fuller Leadership Platform. And that's why I work with the Dupree Center. That's very disruptive to seminaries that have been built on a higher ed model that was literally almost monastic, you know, like young people come in, get formed and then go. That's changing pretty dramatically. Yeah, yeah. What's going too slowly right now in ministry that needs to speed up? And the corollary is what's going too fast that needs to slow down? Well, the biggest thing that's going too slowly is that we need to be able to dismantle some of our structures so we can try some safe experiments. We have to be willing to take some safe experiments. We need to be able to prototype rapidly for modest experiments, not giant, you know, reorganizations of whole denominations, but like small experiments that we can learn from and take the learning and put it back in the system quickly. At the seminary, to change a curriculum, a master's curriculum, is usually a five-year process. <laughs> like we were able to change all of our resources on a dime with the pandemic on the leadership side that I work on, the non-accredited side, where we had a three. 100% growth in learner subscriptions over the course of several weeks. And we were able to do that because we could move faster. What's a scripture or two that's been particularly helpful to you guiding your work in the midst of this crisis? I think a lot about the whole notion of being rooted and grounded in love. Like this is the irony. The more grounded we are in the love of God, the more grounded we are in something beyond our success— the more risks we can take, the more creative we can be. So I always say that in the book, I talk about the first quality of a resilient leader is being grounded in something other than your success as a leader. And so being rooted and grounded in love is the most important concept for me. And if you are preaching somewhere or teaching on Pentecost, or just as you think about Pentecost this year, what are themes that come to mind? Well, the disruption of Pentecost, right? The Holy Spirit falls upon these folks, and they start doing something you don't expect, and nobody expected that at all. Nobody. Like, Jesus hadn't even prepared them for that. Like, the Holy Spirit shows up and messes things up. <laughs> Beautiful. That's a sermon. That'll preach. Todd, I can't thank you enough. Leadership in a Time of Pandemic, very clever title, by the way, is on Amazon as an ebook and other places right now, I assume. Yeah, it is indeed. And then uh, in November, what's the title of the book that's coming out? Tempered Resilience, How Leaders Are Formed in the Crucible of Change. We'll look forward to that in November, and I think we will still uh, need to be built up on that. And Fuller, one of the things we've done is we've made all of the resources we have available right now for free. If folks just text the word UNCHARTED to 66866, UNCHARTED. It's uncharted territory, UNCHARTED 66866. Too many sixes in a row for a pastor, <laughs> but it works. And um, UNCHARTED to 66866, and they can get a bunch of resources. Uh, thank you so much for your ministry, the way you are a colleague to so many, including me and Macedonian ministry. Deeply appreciate the time today. And you're welcome. Thank you for listening to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast. Our producer is Marthame Sanders. To find out more about us and our work of cultivating leadership that makes a difference in congregations and communities, visit our website at www.ministrycollaborative.org. 